Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Honey Smoke Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Let's go to the phones. One of our favorite and most knowledgeable contributors, a man whose outdoor acumen I respect so much, Nate Zielinski. How's that? That's fantastic. I like that one. Yeah, we should record that. was pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty good. Because I'll never say that again, so I hope they recorded it. <laughs> hey, Nate, great to have you on. I know that I know we're going to probably get some fishing tips from you before things are over because the bite is hot everywhere. But the big game licenses, that they were, the tags came out, and people kind of know where they're going to be hunting now. And uh, you and I have a saying, and that's don't get ready to hunt, especially two weeks before the season. Stay ready to hunt. And that's kind of what you want to touch on, isn't it? Absolutely, Ted. You know, I mean, I know that we really bombard people with this. I hear it all the time. People are like, man, you really push the scouting. You push the preparedness. But as much as we push it, I feel like every day I run into people that aren't prepared, that are frustrated, that have all these issues going on because they, they wait till the last minute. So, again, this is a quick reminder. I know that right now, you know, temperatures are high. Everybody's like, it is just starting to be summer. Why are we talking hunting? But in all reality, I mean, the, the pronghorn archery season is like six and a half weeks away, um, you know, that, that mid-August. I mean, we are really approaching – um, you know, that time of year where stuff starts happening. I mean, you know, the late August is our elk hunting and our deer hunting archery. Um, so we're not that far away, mainly for the fact of right now, I really encourage people to, to scout. Obviously, we preach scouting. Uh, if anybody's been following those live Facebook feeds we've been doing on Bowtech as well as on Tightline Outdoors and my, my own page, uh, Facebook page, it's all about scouting. But right now, I don't think people, people look at scouting and they look at it as work. They look at it as, man, how do I find time? to go scouting when right now when the weather's nice we all have families we have you know friends make it make a camping trip out of it you know go up to your hunting area and you know do all the fun activities the family stuff everything you're doing midday but for that first hour or two of the morning maybe that last hour at night when it's temperature do some scouting look for animals look for the areas in which they're in start learning the terrain um you know look for water holes all that type stuff can be done in a very leisure family style atmosphere to to make sure that you're ahead of the game you gotta be prepared and really step ahead of that so that's the one thing we're really preaching is it's time to get out there scouting um we're just now what we call the phase two portion of our scouting for the last month i've been doing nothing but really learning the areas in which i'm hunting i'm learning the terrain all the trailheads everything about the actual area and then starting in phase two which we basically always say it's july 1st um, we're putting a lot of that focus all into uh, learning the animals. So now we're starting to really watch the animals. You can see which animals are going to be mature. You know, we're seeing antler growth. We're just starting to get a good feel for, for what these animals are starting to do and their kind of summer patterns, which they're going to be in for the upcoming hunting season. So everything is in place where a lot of these animals are going to be when we start hunting them in that early archery. So we're scouting all of those type things right now, as well as so many of us are going to purchase new equipment for this upcoming season. Now, I'm not so much worried about backpacks and tents and that type thing, but I am very concerned about archery equipment, muzzleloading equipment, and rifles. Now you want to get out there, purchase that stuff when the stores are calm, when nothing's crazy. You know, have time to, to fine-tune these. I mean, 
Mark called right now to talk about optics real quick. They they are offering a situation where if you buy like a very X3 rifle scope, they will do a turret for you for free. So you can literally get a customized turret for the exact bullet, um, you know, velocity and everything that you're shooting out of your rifle, and you can do that for free. But it takes about six to eight weeks. So if you're going to purchase a new rifle, things like that, not saying that you have to buy that brand or utilize that technology, but it's just little things like that that take time. You really want to have the time to go shoot this new rifle, shoot a new bow, shoot a muzzleloader, play with different arrows, play with different bullets, different cartridges. And a lot of that stuff's going to take you four to six weeks to really dial in this stuff. So instead of waiting till you know even a month ahead of time, which is what everybody gives themselves, do that now. Buy the new weaponry. Start practicing with it. So that way it is literally about repetition. Everything is set up for this upcoming hunting season. And one of the biggest things I preach now is go buy your boots now. Everybody buys their boots two weeks ahead of the season, and they try to wear them to work, and they try to break them in for a week or two, um, you know, in, in a normal household-type situation before hitting the field, and they're never broken in enough. Buy those boots now. Get out there in the field. Do your scouting in those same boots to where they're very comfortable when it comes time to, to hunt. And you learn all the flaws that these boots might have, squeaks or, you know, loose laces or whatever the case may be. But now it's time to, number one, scout the area. Number two, scout the land. And three, make sure all those those major purchases. The main thing is weaponry and boots. Uh, so you have time to, to work all of that in before the season actually starts. You know, and I have a few comments. I want to piggyback right on that. One is... I, I did a lot of whitetail hunting in uh, northern Minnesota when I was, uh, I can't say growing up because Karen says I never grew up, but <laughs> as I was getting older, and I used to find activities year-round that would keep me in the areas I wanted to hunt, whether I was fishing, I did some trapping back then, a lot of wildlife watching, some hiking, and you're right, knowing the terrain, you know, and, and we didn't even have the mountains to triangulate, which can be confusing here, but understanding you know, the area and how it relates on a map. Number one, you don't want to get lost. Number two, if you don't understand the train, you're not going to understand the movement of the animals and, and you're not going to be able to develop a plan and where you're going to intersect them and, and how you're going to be in position to hunt. So I spent a lot of time in the woods, even if I was walking around fishing little streams and stuff just to spend time. You're right. The other thing I couldn't agree more with is the equipment part. I see so many people that run out and buy a gun or a bow just before they go out and don't practice. Another thing, Nate, is the way they practice. A lot of people go to a range, archery especially, and they go to just the straight inline ranges and they shoot 20 yards, 50 yards, maybe 75 yards, maybe up to 100 yards, and they zero in. They don't shoot enough different ranges, and they always shoot from a standing position on those ranges. So many of our Colorado State Parks now have the 3D ranges where you can make awkward shots in different positions at replicas of animals. I think that is so important. Absolutely, Terry. I mean, it's unbelievable how, number one, shooting 3D is totally different than paper, and that's a huge step. Number two, talking about the, the distance. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'll, I'll be working with somebody new and shooting. You know, we'll even be shooting at my house on my little course and little range here. And I'll tell people, okay, you know, that animal is 37 yards. And instantly, if you watch their pins, if you tell somebody 37 yards and you look at their bow sight as they're aiming, you see them raise and lower and they're trying to decide, do I use my, you know, do I use my 30-yard pin and hold, you know, this way or do I use my 40-yard pin and hold it here? They instantly are confused and it takes three or four seconds for them to figure out what to use as opposed to if a person practices nonstop 
at different yardages, never shooting an even number, you all of a sudden have that system. Oh, it's 37 yards. I know I'm going to take, you know, my, my 40 yard pin. I'm going to hold low and, and I'm going to hit it. So you, you build this concept of, of what your pattern is or what your eye is going to do. And it's that repetition that helps you in the field to make those good decisions uh, when it comes time to hunting. That's all really basically, in my opinion, hunting is, is making those good decisions. You know, through a good scouting, you, you learn the terrain, you learn everything about the animals, you learn all the knowledge you have. And then all it is is making good decisions when you're out there hunting. If you don't scout enough, you don't get to make those good decisions. And that's what oftentimes leads to an unsuccessful and, and disappointing type hunt. The other big thing when we talk about target practice, now there's a million different different terms for this. Every has, everybody has different ideas and plans. But essentially, I always tell people, if you're going to be a big game hunter, go to the range. And whether you're shooting a block target, shooting a 3D animal, shooting straw, whatever your background is or whatever your target is, I encourage people to shoot at a blank field. So whether it's a, a big piece of paper that's blank, whether it's a square target that's blank, whatever it is, I encourage somebody to look at, at, a, at a, something where you can shoot but not actually put a focus point on there. Everybody gets so dialed in at shooting a bullseye, shooting an orange dot, shooting a cross. Everybody has this focus point, and it helps them shoot well. But all of a sudden, you're looking at an elk, a bear, a mule deer, a pronghorn, you know, at 30 yards, and they don't have anywhere to focus. And people start to, to start to eyes start to wander. They start looking at the antlers. They start looking at the shoulder where they want to avoid. But long story short, wherever you're looking, more than likely is where that trajectory is going to hit, whether that's a bullet or an arrow. So I encourage people to be able to look at a blank slate pick a place on that blank slate and put your arrow, put your bullet into that situation to where you're training your eye to focus literally almost on nothing. Pitch a, pick a literally a single hair on that animal and be able to put your, your, you know, your, your trajectory in that exact spot. So I do that every day. Every time I shoot, I very rarely have a target there. Everybody's like, how do you know you were accurate? You're like, I know where I was aiming and I know where, where I hit. Um, so that's a huge little thing right there when practicing shooting uh, to make sure that you're going to be able to, to shoot at nothing like an animal instead of having a, a bullseye target like everybody does on a daily basis when practicing. Another thing, too, if you're shooting a rifle, um, go somewhere like Colorado Clays where you can do prone, where you can do sitting, where you can – because if you always shoot with that rifle sitting on a bag or Absolutely. on a tripod, you're going to – you're going to be able to you, you want to zero the gun in that way, but you don't. You're not. I did a lot of stock and shooting. I didn't do as much stand hunting when I was younger, and I was always in an awkward situation. I mean, maybe I had a tree to lean on, maybe I had to get prone, maybe I had to sit, depending on the length of the shot. You know, we had a lot of close shots in Minnesota of the brush, but if, you won't be comfortable. And you. And then the other thing is, you talked about getting your clothing. Get out there and hike and shoot even if it's warm in the clothing you're going to hunt in, because you won't know the noise factor of that clothing, and you won't know how your firearm or your bow fits you when you've got that clothing on if you don't. Absolutely, Terry. Couldn't be right. I mean, you know, people have a hard time shouldering weapons with their backpack on, and that on, or, you know, the bulky clothes catch the gunners at shoulders, and shooting your bow hits your forearm. There's a million things like that that we just don't practice, and we laugh at it. It's been said a million times, but so many times coming back to the basics. It's just like fishing. You know, we get so caught up in these latest and greatest. And, you know, you look at the walleye right right now, it's literally hook, line, and sinker, and it it comes back to the basics. And so much of the success that we have on a daily basis in our outdoor activities falls back on the basics. And that's basically what we're preaching right now is, is the little things go a long way. So no matter how long you've hunted, how much you've done, take all these little things 
put it into play, and it so often will come back to reward you at the end because, again, it all falls down on, on the little things kill you. So eliminate all those little things, make good decisions, and you'll be successful at the end of the day. That's a great segue. We have about two minutes left. What, uh, I, I don't know if we can say enough about you have to be out fishing, but bring us up to speed. So the, the walleye bite is absolutely a terrible. Now, we've been doing everything. The, there's actually a, a topwater pike bite. There's a lot of bodies of water right now as these fish are in their summer patterns. That's phenomenal. All the waters are rising or are at you know, somewhat of a full pool right now. Chapter is actually a little lower as they're anticipating more water coming in, but spinny is, is literally rising water every second. There is fish in new spots almost every single day, and those shallow fish tend to be aggressive. Uh, a lot of times you can sight for them. So we got a good pike bite, got a good trout bite. There's a lot of opportunity, but again, I, I can't right now, if I'm talking to somebody about fishing, I am pushing them to go walleye fishing. The walleye bite is just phenomenal. I had a, a situation last week, obviously I wasn't on the radio last week, I was on vacation with my family, but the week before that, I had an all-time record in my boat. I had two anglers, husband, wife, uh, and they actually held my previous record for walleyes caught in a six-hour trip for two people. Uh, they had 137 fish three years ago, um, and last week they caught 188 walleyes, uh, literally hook, rod, and sinker, and a half a crawler at Chatfield, but they had 188 walleyes in six hours. Then two days later, Matt Inslee, who's been on the radio a lot, had 201 walleyes in a six-hour trip with two anglers at Chatfield. I don't care how big they are. I don't care if you discourage the, the fight of a walleye versus a trout or other fish. If you can go out there and have even a 100 fish day, it's absolutely incredible. And it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely the bite to be on, without a doubt. 30 seconds. How would you tell people to approach this if they're going on their own? How long will it last? And then how can they book a trip with you? Absolutely. You know, Tightline Outdoors is the place to call us. Go to our website, Tightline Outdoors, get some numbers, get emails, call us from that point. Uh, you cannot fail out there. If you find structure, so if you find any sort of structure drop-off, a five- to eight-foot change in depth, and you find yourself in anywhere between eight and 15 feet of water, you're going to be on fish. So eight to 15 feet of water on some sort of contour change, whether coming offshore or mid-lake structure, and personally speaking, you can throw anything. You can throw jigs. You can throw slip bobbers, live bait rigs. We've been fishing a lot of live bait, whether it's a, a jig head and a crawler, a live bait rig and a crawler. Uh, but find that contour change. The fish are going to be on it, and you're going to have a great day. All right, Nate, we got to run, but thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. That's right. Nate Zielinski, always a great, great source. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company. Their honey smoked salmon is incredible. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. It is time for our Ask the Expert segment. This is where you send your outdoor question to terrywickstromoutdoors at gmail.com. I don't care if it's fishing, hunting, camping, outdoor clothing, outdoor cooking, whatever it is, we take your question. If we choose to answer it on the air, you get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse just for sending it in. So get your questions to us. You might get a $25 gift card. Today's uh, question actually comes from out of state. It's from Timothy in Richardson, Texas. And he goes, hey, Terry, love your informative articles. We're planning a driving tent camping trip through Colorado the week of July 4th. Are there any rivers with access points for wading where salmon can be caught? All I've read so far indicates they are only in the lakes. We use light spinning tackle. Also, does it change seasonally? Thanks for the info and hope you can lead us in the right direction. 
Joining me from the Sportsman's Warehouse Fishing Department in Thornton to help answer this is Bob Milner. Good morning, Bob. Morning, Terry. I tell you what, um, we're going to give them some advice, but between the fact that the salmon are probably all in the lakes right now, they usually only come in the rivers when they spawn in the fall, and we'll tell them about that. And the fact that we're in the middle of runoff, uh, we're going to have to work a little bit, but I think we can point him to where he can at least catch some fish. Absolutely. Um, so first of all, do you agree that if he wants to go after salmon, his best chance probably, you mentioned when I talked to you earlier that maybe Wolford Reservoir might be a, an opportunity from shore? Wolford is really, the, the Cokney are hot there right now. Um, anything pink you can throw, uh, pink Tasmanian devils, just anything with pink. And they, I don't know what it is about that color, but they just want it. And uh, the last fishing report I did, guys were pulling them out of there left and right. And that's and that's that's a lake situation. But if he's if his heart's set on catching salmon, that's probably he's probably not going to find a river opportunity this time of the year. No, not until fall, not until uh, around September. In fact, let's talk about that, and then we'll get to some places he could go and catch some trout. You know, we get into the fall, the salmon do run up the river, and it does present an an incredible fishing opportunity in Colorado, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, where are some of your favorite places or some of the places you know about where, where he could take advantage of that fall run? And it varies by location for time of the year, doesn't it? Um, yes, it depends a lot on the altitude. Um, the higher up you go, the later the run starts. Uh, for example, um, usually the first place I hear about the salmon running is at the Blue River uh, near Green Mountain Reservoir. Um, also uh, up at Blue Mesa. Uh, that's usually one of the last places I hear from. But 11 Mile, um, although they've changed the rules there a little bit, um, and uh, um, I believe they've uh, decreased the uh, number of fish you can catch there. But um, places like that will, will hit early, and then your higher mountain lakes or rivers and lakes uh, uh, will hit later, like going into October. And I think uh, there used to be a pretty good run coming out of Granby, and we had some issues both at Granby and 11 Mile with gill lice and with populations being down. But those populations of salmon seem to be rebounding, and I think you can still get some action in uh, the Granby area, too, in that canal. Oh, yes, yes, very much so. I forgot about Granby. (laughs) Yeah, so there are opportunities, and that's going to be towards fall. And if he decides to make another trip up, we'll have to. I'm sure we'll address the salmon run on the show as we get towards fall. But he's coming up the week of the 4th of July. So if he wants to go to a lake like Wolford and catch some salmon from shore, he can make that happen. In fact, fishing lakes right now, whether it's salmon or trout, are some of your best options because we are in runoff, and a lot of the high mountain lakes are on fire, so lakes may be his best option anyway, but there are some river options that he can catch trout. What are a few of your recommendations? Well, my favorite spot is the Blue River, uh, just outside of Silverthorne. Uh, It is running pretty high right now, um, and uh, um, you're probably going to have trouble fishing it except maybe the outer edges with some large streamers. Of course, he's going to be um, using spinning gear, so he'd probably use a jig or something there then. Um, yeah, or small spinners. Um, your uh, your MEP spinners, your rooster tails, blue foxes are very popular. Uh, something that's going to be bright that they're going to be able to see in the darkened water. I, I fish also a lot of marabou jigs, too, in this time of the year because you can cast them to the pockets where you can't really hold with a fly line, which I'll do later in the year. Right. 
Yeah, very much so. You know, he he wants to camp, too. A couple of places I thought about, just because of the camping access, one was the Arkansas River, because there's campsites all along the Arkansas River. And even though the water's probably running pretty high there, sometimes the spin fishing in the Arkansas can actually be better than the fly fishing from shore this time of the year, and a lot of browns. Now, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it can be done. Another one is the Yampa, because there's a lot of campgrounds up and down the Yampa River, too. And, of course, you've got the Pooter and has a lot of public access it doesn't have a lot of camping on it though it has some and then there's a lot up above at the top of the pooter uh yep um yeah the uh the last time i camped up there was at the mountain park area and it's a gorgeous gorgeous campground uh primitive campground and right along the river plenty for people to do you fish kids everything um you know the yampa river boy it's really high right now but um, you get out towards Hayden um, and uh, stop off at uh, either Duffy Mountain or, or the uh, Park State, or excuse me, State Park Quarters Campground, uh, and there's some fishable spots there. Well, and then you mentioned when we were talking before that Jefferson Lake has some pretty good fishing for spin fishing. They do, they do, and that's a beautiful lake. If you want scenery, you got that. Uh, there is some wind issues from time to time, but. But it's a gorgeous lake, high mountain, the water's cold, so the trout are, you know, uh, they can be up close to the surface almost all day. Um, Throwing cast masters uh, will do wonders up there. Uh, uh, And, of course, it's uh, accessible uh, for boats and canoes and float tubes, pontoon boats, uh, good shore fishing just about everywhere around the lake. And there's several campsites on the road leading up to the lake. And, you know, we mentioned Granby area where the fall salmon run will be. The trout fishing, not just the lake trout, which are moved out a little bit usually this time of the year, but the browns and rainbows from shore can be phenomenal. And you're at the headwaters of the Colorado River. Um, even though the water's high, it can be pretty fishable in those areas up there by Granby. Oh, yeah. Um, best thing to do is to keep to the outer edges. Uh, keep out. Of, they won't be in that fast current. Uh, they'll be out in the outer edges where the current is a lot slower or none at all. Um, it's best to throw, well, uh, being a fly fisherman, I always look at those outer edges, but you throw anything out out there where uh, where the fish will lie because they won't sit there and fight that heavy current. Uh, they'll stay out to the outer edges where it's uh, where it's a lot calmer. I think the one last piece of advice we want to give them is that when you're fishing these rivers in Colorado with spinning gear, pay close attention to the regulations because a lot of the rivers change in sections from where you can use anything. And a lot of those, I would throw like a gulp minnow on a jig head. It's phenomenal, but you can't throw that in a flies and lures only because it's scented. And then I go, like you mentioned, you can't beat really a MEP spinner or maybe a a, a marabou jig. And you sell all of those at Sportsman's Warehouse, right? I do. Plus, I'd also like to recommend the Arnie's lures as well. Arnie's makes it an excellent spinner. Um, with just the right amount of flash as well as uh, um, uh, a really good body and a motion in the water. Well, I think the best thing I can tell him, Bob, is he needs to stop by the Thornton Sportsman's Warehouse in 84th and talk to you before he goes out. Absolutely. Come Uh, on down. All right. Thanks for joining us, Bob. Thanks for being our expert today. All right. Take care. You bet. That's Bob Milner from Sportsman's Warehouse in Thornton. We get so many great people that support this program from Sportsman's Warehouse with knowledgeable information. Tell you what, uh, 
you need to send in and ask the expert question. For sending that question in, Tim is going to get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse. Send your outdoor questions to terrywickstromoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also find the information on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and you should follow that anyway. We have so much about the show on that page. But if we choose to answer your question on the air, you get a $25 gift card just for sending it in. We need your question your name and your address and your phone number so we can get ahead of you, get a hold of you if you win, so we can get you your gift card. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports. Sun is Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. My second favorite band, or in the top five anyway, Dire Straits. Didn't have as many songs I fell in love with as the Eagles, but boy, I love those guitar riffs. All right. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. We're going right to the phones. Joining us, uh, someone who's been a friend of this program for, gosh, I don't know, over a decade, uh, Mr. Mark Coughlin from uh, Horsetooth. How long have you and I known each other now? You know, I'm getting older, so it's always hard to judge. Uh, but, man, it's been at least 12 or 13 years. It's been a long time. Yeah, when did we start? We, we put that show on for a lot of years. When did we start that? You know, that was almost 13 years ago. You know, that literally started in a, over an adult beverage on a napkin to kind of plan that out just to help people learn how to fish some, some more difficult front-range reservoirs that have those extreme water elevation gains and losses in the year. And so that's kind of what I'm the nexus of that whole program and kind of kind of grown from there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. By the way, speaking of programs, you and I made a trip together to Costa Rica. And on our um, YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, Karen just posted the show we, one of the shows, we did three shows, one of the shows where you actually caught, I believe, a tuna and a dorado down there. You did. You know, we boated um, that day. It's like one of those dream days down in Costa Rica where we, we boated um, five sailfish, um, some dorado. We caught all the tuna we wanted that we thought we could eat for the week. Um, it was just an epic trip, and then, you know, Karen, every, literally everybody on the boat who wanted to catch a sailfish caught a sailfish. We probably had, what, 10 or 12 sailfish on the leader, Yeah. we boated five, and it was just an epic trip. Oh, yeah, and that sailfish one is, we split that at the sailfish part into a separate show, and that's up there, too. But the Dorado and the tuna, and I think that's the one where the, the porpoise or dolphins were alongside the boat. There must have been a 1,000 of them. Oh, at least between the spinners and the, the other dolphins, we saw at least a thousand dolphins. It was oh. it was really just an incredible trip. Uh, yeah, people need to watch that. It was fun. Hey, but we want to talk about what they can do right here in Colorado. Um, and you know, you and I talked. We talked this week. In fact, you were about my house, and we covered a little bit about Project Dry Water, and we'll talk about drinking and boating too. But we really want to emphasize. Not only safe boating, but good etiquette and interaction between boaters and different types of watercraft and people on shore. And I know this is going to be some incredibly busy weekends coming up. And you really see that, you know, we want the experience to be good for everybody. Right, Mark? We do. As you know, back in the early 90s, mid-90s, when I first started with Larimer County, you know, we were full. And people waiting to get on the reservoirs by about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. Kind of the recession hit about 1998 and a lot of the, some of the boating went, went down. But now with the growth along the front range, um, all up and down the front range, we're just seeing more and more folks boating, which is absolutely great, um, getting back into the sport. And we're seeing a lot of different types of use. Um, what we've seen really the biggest growth we've seen lately has been the paddle boards um, are hugely popular. You could see herds of paddle boards on any given day on our, I think any reservoir along the front range. And so, and, you know, a lot more folks are fishing now. A lot of people are new back into boating. So, you know, we were talking about the etiquette and how 
there's some challenges now just, you know, given people who are fishing, you know, that, that 150-foot buffer that's required by state law when you come and um, pass another vessel, and also the paddle borders as well. I mean, there's obviously some conflicts because there's people brand new to paddle boarding, brand new to boating, and people who just don't fish understand when people have trolling lines out um, how much room you really need to give those folks and be respectful. So we're seeing more of those challenges, and that's one thing that we're trying to help educate boaters on, and that's what we're talking about it today to kind of help people out. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. You have to give 150 feet, and that's both in a boat or ashore, somebody fishing. Is that right? Um, it, it is. It's, it's, it's certainly people on vessels and people who are fishing on shore. That's the proper etiquette. Um, you know, it's, it's hard because these, there's so many boats on our reservoirs anywhere along the front range that um, it's almost impossible at times to give 150 feet. But you can um, give yourself, if you're approaching a, a busy area, slow down, maybe find a better path through there. You know, if you see a bunch of paddle boarders or folks fishing, you know, just kind of, you know, as you're going down the reservoir, kind of get a game plan in your head about how to best approach them and kind of stay away and just to, just to be a good boater and just have good etiquette, like you mentioned. Well, what you said about slowing down was so important. I mean, if you can't give enough room because it's crowded or there's a situation where there's a number of boats right there and you have to take a path through, slow down, especially if you're if you're one of these high-speed fishing boats. Like I, my boat, you know, it, it can go faster than what's legal in Colorado, which is 40 miles an hour, and it can put out a substantial wake or a wakeboard boat or a tow boat. Uh, all these people really can affect the other people around them, you mentioned the paddle boarders out there. Um, a lot of them are inexperienced, and they get out on the main lake, and they're not ready to handle these wakes. They catch them by surprise. And then the paddle boarders also don't realize they have to give the shore fishermen some room. So really, people uh, people really need to spend a little time and get educated. And as far as boating, just knowing where and when you can pass and how you meet another boat, Mark, people just need to study and understand that. Yeah, they absolutely do. It doesn't, doesn't take much time. You know, the state puts out a really good boating regulation brochure that you could um, you could look into. You could also stop and talk to any ranger in the parks as you come through the gatehouse to get just some information on boating. You know, direction of travel um, is statewide. It's, it's counterclockwise uh, on any lake or reservoir in the state of Colorado. You know, just to understand that stuff, maybe slowing down, like you said, and just, just take your time. And, um, you know, everyone's out there to have a good time. Um, and just be respectful of other folks and, um, and give, give some room. I think that that will go a long ways to help um, curb a lot of these issues that we're seeing. What are, as you patrol the lakes, we only have a minute or two left, what do you see as some of the main concerns coming up in these busy weekends that you really need people to be aware of? Yeah, the big three that we see um, is the direction of travel issue, understand the direction of travel, giving people enough of space, 150-foot space. And then what I'm seeing is that folks that, that – have people in the water that are, you know, wakeboarding, wake surfing, pulling tubers. Is they they keep their flag up all the time. They 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 put it on their tower or hook it to their windshield. And that flags up all the time. Well, the state law is only when you have somebody down, not when you're towing somebody. When you have somebody in, literally in the water, if everybody just drives around with flags flying, it gets people get immune to that and they don't pay attention for people in the water because they don't un- understand if someone is in the water or not. So using those flags appropriately, just to let other boaters know. Um, you have somebody in the water, you thought we could protect them properly. Because you don't want people to get so numb to the fact that everybody flies a, flies a flag right now that you don't pay attention to people in the water like you probably should. The last thing that I want to comment on and before we go, and that's um, boating while impaired. Um, the fines can be as significant as if you're driving while impaired, and people don't understand how quickly alcohol affects you or other drugs and alcohol on the water. Yeah, Not only the alcohol, which the state law is, is .08 is um, – is the state law that no matter what how you do on a roadside maneuvers or your level of sobriety, you're going to be charged with boating on the influence if you're at a .08 or higher. And you're right; it's just like um, you know, you're, if you are 
charged with that, you're, you're going to go to jail, you're going to spend some time in jail, you're going to pay court fees, you're going to pay legal fees. Um, might, so it all adds up. It could get very expensive. You lose your boating privileges. And what people don't understand is that how that it's just not like when you're on shore or driving a car is that you have the sun, the water movement, the fatigue of all that. Um, you kind of overload on your senses because there's not, you know, directional lanes here on a reservoir or lake. So all that stuff compounds, the heat, the sunshine, that really not only the effects of the alcohol itself, but the effects of all the environmental conditions that, that kind of compound that as well. And just people aren't aware of that. Mark, we're out of time, but great stuff. What we really want is we want people to get out. We want them to have a great weekend. We don't want them to get in trouble with the law, but mostly we don't want a tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. Be, be safe and sober and, um, and have a good time on the, on the reservoirs and enjoy them like everyone else wants to. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Have a good day. You bet. Mark Coughlin from uh, Fort Collins from uh, Horsetooth. We seem to be emphasizing safety a lot today. Um, it's There's a reason. we got a lot of people coming up that aren't used to boating or they're spending more time on the water. We want to make sure everybody has a great weekend. Uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by the Honey Smoked Fish Company's Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Joining us is Ronnie Castiglione. And, Ronnie, people are well aware that if they listen to the show of your angling expertise, but you have some culinary expertise also, and I know you're a fan of the Honey Smoked Fish. Absolutely, Terry. I love Honey Smoked Fish. i got it in the fridge right now at home, so, and I've been eating it all week. So do I. It is one of, my, one of my favorite snacks, no doubt about it, Terry. Well, you know, it's, there's a rumor that you and I occasionally enjoy a glass of wine. Um, yes, sir. And I tell you what, just the honey smoked salmon, whether by itself or I mix a little cream cheese and make a spread out of it, I'll put a nice bottle of Pinot Noir. What a pairing. Yeah, it definitely pairs really, really good with wine. I'm a big fan of just, you know, simple crackers, maybe some fruit, some cheese, a little honey smoked salmon, you know, kind of stack them on top of each other. And uh, it goes wonderfully with reds and whites, you know, it just kind of depends on what you're mood, in the mood for. But Honey smoked salmon is definitely an excellent thing. You know, I'm a big fan of honey smoked salmon, Terry. Oh, I'm just a huge fan of honey smoked salmon, and I could, I, it's in my refrigerator all the time as well. All right, Ronnie. Yeah, you know, the other thing that's good, Terry, is you can make a sandwich out of it like you would with tuna. Just mix it with mayonnaise and a little bit of relish or something along those lines, and rather than a tuna sandwich, just have yourself a honey smoked sandwich sandwich. Oh, it's just, it's just so many ways to use it. It's fantastic. Now, speaking of so many ways and so many things, the fishing is we're getting into some of the best fishing of the year, but you still have to time it right, don't you? Yeah, absolutely, Terry. You know, it's definitely all about timing as we get into summer. And there's different bites that take place throughout the day that, as an angler, you want to pay attention to. Um, you know, a lot of people might just go to the lake and fish all day and go through a few flurries of bites here and there. But the astute angler, the guy that's really paying attention to what's going on, wants to understand why and when they're getting those rushes of bites, you know, why they're getting those fish to go, where they're getting to go. So timing a bite is a big deal for an angler, especially as we get into these really hot days in the middle of summer, Terry. So what are some of the factors that affect it? Do you fish at different times or you just change your tactics at different times? What affects it and how do you change your approach? 
Well, there's a few things that I'm going to look at on any given day, and it may depend a little bit on which lake I'm on. But the first obvious one is going to be low light conditions. Low light conditions definitely lend themselves towards predators wanting to feed, whether it's fish, whether it's lions. You know, all, all predators want to feed when they have the visual advantage. And so low light is a big deal. So early in the morning, you know, and later in the evening as it's getting dark, those are definitely going to be prime windows that you want to take advantage of. And I certainly see a lot of people that show up to the lake an hour late. You know, they're an hour late to miss that morning bite. Or I see a lot of people that leave the lake an hour too soon. They're missing that prime time. So that's one of the big ones. Another one that we look at all the time here on Horseshoe Carry, especially as the water starts to drop out of this reservoir, is we run mud lines all summer long. But the deal with running a mud line, and a mud line is where, you know, waves or wakes are going to be hitting a shoreline and kind of stirring up that mud. Initially, right when that mud gets stirred up on any, any given day, that mud's going to float real, real high in the water column, and you'll be able to see that it has a real distinct edge from the clearer water to the muddier water. When it looks like that, when that stuff's just forming, that is an excellent time to run that mud line pattern on any lake that you're in. If you're too late, if you're an hour or too late to try to, mud those, to, try to fish those mud lines, then by then that mud has kind of fallen through the water column, Terry, and it's a lot harder to catch fish in and around just dirty water like that without those real distinct edges, without floating on top of the water. So that's a real good pattern that people can run in the summer. For an example, here on Horsetooth, on a weekend, like a day like today, it's usually right about 9.30 or 10 o'clock, Terry, in the morning that those mud lines start to form, and that just has to do with that's when the majority of the boats start to get out on the lake and start running up and down the lake and throwing the wakes at the bank. So that's a big one that folks can do. And then the other thing that you can do is, uh, you know, let's take a lake like Boyd, for example. The dock pattern on Boyd is an excellent pattern that will run during the summer. A lot of those largemouth and those walleyes like to get in under those docks and hide in the shade. But that's another thing, Terry, where if you're too early to that fight, let's say you get out on the lake at 6 o'clock in the morning and you start fishing those docks, a lot of times those fish are not up under that dock as of yet. They will really want that sun to get up into the sky, and then they get in and they hide in the shade, whereas early in the morning they may be kind of cruising that general area of that of that bank. So that's a big deal. You know, you can get out and run those docks, but if you're running them at the wrong time of day, Terry, you're not going to catch those fish. Well, what you're telling me is there are ways to fish early, late, but then you've got the docks and the mud line that happen later in the day, so there are opportunities. Let's take horse tooth. Let's say I miss the mud line bite, I miss the, the early morning bite, and I can't stay late. I'm only going to be out there during the toughest time from, say, 10 o'clock sure. till 2 or 3. What can I do to up my chances? Well, you know, a good pattern here on, on horse tooth, and it's something that people shy away from, is the fact that these fish get used to these boats moving up and down this lake, and they get used to the wakes that these boats are throwing. So sometimes midday, if you're running these main lake points on a lake like Horse Tooth, that's when those fish get fired up. They get fired up on those main lake points midday because of all those wakes that those boats that are skiing and stuff running up and down the lake are throwing at that. So that's a real good pattern that you can run on this lake. And then the other thing, you know, midday is we'll set up, you know, a lot of times on the main lake as well, these fish will move out to some of these more submerged gravel humps that we have. Those humps catch a lot of wakes and get current in them as well, but they're below the water. Those fish will feed a lot of times midday. It's kind of that same deal once the boats start moving around. You know, it's funny here on a horse tube 
youth especially, you know, a lot of times these, these skiers and whatnot on their boats, they tend to buzz the, the, the fishermen. They tend to bring their boats a little bit too close to them. And I know you guys were talking a little bit about boat safety earlier. That's one of the things. But, you know, a lot of anglers get upset at that when a boat comes cruising by too close to them. The astute anglers, the guys that know the deal, they may get a little upset at it, but a lot of times they make a real quick quack cast right into that back top wash coming off that boat that just went by. A lot of times that will actually stir up the bait fish, which will get the predators to feed as well. So that's kind of a thing you can take advantage of as well, Terry. All right. I agree with you 100%. Okay, 30 seconds. If I was going out tomorrow, where would you go fishing? You know, horse is a no-brainer right now. I got clients on the boat this morning, and they've been absolutely blasting the fish. There's no doubt about it. And they've been catching a bunch of them, you know, just bouncing tube jigs, working crankbaits, working surface lures earlier this morning. Kind of standard summertime pattern is working right now on horse tube. Is it mostly bass or are you picking up some walleyes too? Uh, it's been all largemouth. I haven't seen any walleyes. The walleyes I've been hearing about being caught are definitely being caught at night right now. So, you meant smallmouth, um, right? Yeah, we're catching a lot of smallmouth. That's you said largemouth right now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, oh yeah. And the smallmouth are getting some pretty good size in horse tooth now too. They are. They're definitely getting chunkier. They're definitely well-fed. Uh, the real big ones might be a little hard to catch on certain days, but they're in the lake. You know, there's definitely fish over three pounds in the lake nowadays. Uh, but even those, you know, let's say the standard size, we're seeing a lot of 13 to 15-inch fish. They've gotten fatter here in the last few years. So those are all nice fish. And the beauty of the smallmouth is it doesn't really matter how big he is. He's going to pull as hard as he possibly can. So even those little 8-inch or 12-inch fish are a lot of fun to catch, Terry. All right, Ronnie, we got to go. They can find you at Fishful Thinker, I assume. Yes, sir, fishfulthinker.com. You can find out all about our guide trips on the website. All right, thanks, Ronnie. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Terry. Have a good one. You bet. Ronnie Castiglione, always a wealth of information. We're going to wrap things up. Before I do, follow us on Facebook, Terry Wicks from Outdoors. We're going to start some major contests, too. We're going to do some remotes, and we're going to have our Ask the Expert. The information on all those are on Terry Wicks from Outdoors on Facebook. Also, send your Ask the Expert questions to terrywickstromoutdoors at gmail.com. You send your outdoor question your name, address, and phone number. If we answer your question on the air, you get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse just for sending it in. Make sure you join us every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Karen for keeping me afloat, making this show go. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and more programming on 104.3 The Fan.